This is a podcast that seeks to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. I want to thank you for joining us today. Also want to invite you to please subscribe to the podcast and then give us a five-star review on your platform if that's possible. She was known as the Queen of Gospel. Martin Luther King Jr. said of her, A voice like this one comes not once in a century, but once in a millennium. She may be the greatest singer you've never heard of. The granddaughter of slaves, she sold an estimated 22 million records during her career. Performed in front of integrated and secular audiences in concert halls around the world, as well as for U.S. presidents and international dignitaries. Mahalia Jackson was born Mahala Jackson. She would add a letter I to her name later when she sang professionally. 
was born in New Orleans in 1911 to John A. Jackson, a barber and sometimes preacher who never lived with the family, and her mother, Charity Clark. She was named after her aunt. She was their third child, but the small house, located in an impoverished uptown New Orleans neighborhood, was shared by 13 people. Mahalia's mother died when she was only five, and her namesake aunt would care for her. Aunt Duke, as they called her, was a devout but very strict woman with a notorious temper. Multiple times a week, and when her aunt was particularly angry, Mahalia found a home at Mount Moriah Baptist Church in New Orleans. Already possessing a booming contralto voice at 12, Mahalia joined the junior choir. At the age of 12, Mahalia's Aunt Duke once reportedly told her, You're going to be famous in this world and walk with kings and queens. Well, Jackson's aunt would be prophetic. Unfortunately, Aunt Duke's rage and abuse would send Mahalia fleeing to two other aunts. And when those aunts moved north, Mahalia begged to follow. In December 1928, during what would later be known as the Great Migration, Jackson, now 17 years old, arrived in Chicago. Initially homesick, her aunts took her to Greater Salem Baptist Church, a move which Mahalia later described as the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. Shortly after her arrival, she was invited to join the 50-voice choir and later, with three singers and a pianist, would form the Johnson Singers. They were billed as Chicago's first black gospel group. They would go to local churches and events to perform, but were sometimes accused of blasphemy, especially because of how Mahalia would sing and perform. Her her uncompromising, booming voice and her style of performance would be seen as off-putting to Northern Baptists, although it was quite normal in the South. While desperate for vocal help and mentorship, she scraped some money together and she hired a black operatic tenor to evaluate her voice. Now here was his tragic assessment. Quote, you've got to learn to stop hollering. It will take time to build up your voice. The way you sing is not a credit to the Negro race. You've got to learn to sing songs so that white people can understand them. Well, the Johnson Singers had limited success just when the Great Depression overwhelmed the country. And even though she hardly had a dollar to her name, Mahalia found a practical Christian way to help. And I remember way back in the 1930s, Miss Lee, when the Depression was 29, when I I was hardly making a dollar, 50 cents or 75, I stopped there on the Highway 41 and get neck boned and ham hocks and smoked rig, a smoked rib, and string beans and beans. And I and I'm a good cook, and I cook big pans of cornbread. I've seen men that have lost their pride, and I brought them to my house. Didn't know where I was gonna get the next nickel from. 
But you can't be God-given. And I mean, I would feed those people, make big old bowls of potato salad. And today, that's my joy. When people come to my house, I don't go to theaters and I don't go to nightclub, but I do like to have people to come to my house and I fix them something to eat. This was about the time Mahalia would meet her true mentor and musical inspiration, Thomas Dorsey. Now, Dorsey was a veteran blues musician who wanted to transition to gospel music. And in Jackson, he believed he could sell his sheet music if only people could hear her sing it. So not exactly the most altruistic of motives, but still he believed in her. Her first recordings of his music were in 1931 with limited success. Uh, She would sing at official functions, but also work as a laundress to help pay the bills. In 1932, a local politician had her sing for the Franklin D. Roosevelt presidential campaign. Now making about $10 a week, she became Chicago's only professional gospel singer. Got the whole world in his hand. He's got this whole world in say Mahalia's only vice early in her career was a love for going to movie and vaudeville theaters. Now this was frowned upon by the Baptist church. And when her preacher grandfather came to visit her in Chicago, one day he had a stroke while standing on a sun-filled street. Mahalia pleaded for God to spare him. And in doing so, she promised that if he did, she would no longer frequent those places and would only devote her talent to singing the Lord's music. Well, as it turned out, he recovered, and she kept her word. Let 
Mahalia's two marriages were rather short-lived and resulted in no children. Her first marriage was in 1935 to Isaac, or Ike, Hockenhull, a chemist who regularly showered Mahalia with praise. Her mother-in-law started a cosmetics business with both of them, but it was quite a failed venture, with everyone losing a lot of money. Eventually, Ike was laid off from his chemist job, and the couple would have less than a dollar between them. It was then that Ike pressured Mahalia to audition for a jazz retelling of The Mikado by Gilbert and Sullivan, only this with swing music. Remembering her vow to the Lord, Mahalia was opposed to the idea, even if they did need the money. Well, she reluctantly tried out and got the part. However, when Ike was able to secure a new job, Mahalia dropped the part immediately, much to her husband's chagrin. That and Ike's gambling addiction would lead to the end of their marriage. As Mahalia became more successful, she realized that her constant refusal of secular projects angered her record companies. So as a hedge for financial security, she became a licensed beautician and bought a beauty salon, which turned out to be very successful. And while it certainly filled a financial gap in her life and she was constantly surrounded by fans and friends, she was actually lonelier than ever. That's when she met Sigmund Galloway, a former musician and now construction worker. All her friends were surprised when they quickly married in 1964. But the honeymoon would not last long. Mahalia suffered from a chronic condition called sarcoidosis, in which growths appear on internal organs. And while the disease goes away from most, her condition was more severe and only exacerbated with time. Now apparently these nodules were forming on her heart, and caused her to have a heart attack. She would have to take a year off from performing, and her new husband would become constantly absent during that year. When he was around, he would often accuse her of making up her symptoms. There were constant arguments between them. Finally, he became violent and twice attempted to strike her. Jackson then announced her intention to divorce and have the marriage dissolved. But Galloway was determined to embarrass her and even requested a jury trial, which almost never happens in a divorce, so that he could lay out all the details of their marital issues for public consumption. But when Galloway's infidelities were proven, the judge declined to award him any of Jackson's assets or properties. Marriage number two was over. So it seemed that throughout her life, Mahalia's main man was the Lord. And to her, it was more than religion. It was salvation. What do you think about the people who, who don't have a religion to fall back on? Is it an empty life for them? Well, uh, religion, is, uh, religion is a duty. I think all people have that. They, uh, they should have a duty. And that duty is to treat their fellow man right. But I think that a lot of them don't have salvation. <laughs> That's the difference. When a man had been born again and have the salvation 
which is the gift of eternal life uh, uh, and the keeping power of God, uh, they, uh, they get along all right and they go around giving of themselves to help. Mahalia's career breakthrough came at almost the last possible moment. Thomas Dorsey had helped make Mahalia a touring artist. One time performing in Harlem, she was heard by Art Freeman, a music scout who signed her to record four records for Apollo Records. Well, the first two didn't sell well. Then the record company begged her to start singing blues, but again, she refused. So the company wanted to buy her out of her contract to be done with her. But Art Freeman, that music scout, he begged the company for one more recording session. Now, Freeman had heard Mahalia do a warm-up song before she performed and recorded and wanted to put it on vinyl. Mahalia obliged, and the rest is history. would gain airplay and traction, eventually occupying the number two slot on the Billboard charts for two weeks, something no gospel artist had ever accomplished. It would go on to sell two million copies in 1947, which eventually swelled to eight million records, the largest selling Christian song of all time. The song would be honored with the Grammy Hall of Fame Award in 1998. In 2005, the Library of Congress honored the song by adding it to the National Recording Registry. It was also included in the list of songs of the 20th century by the Recording Industry of America and the National Endowment for the Arts, and is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock. Not sure how Mahalia would feel about that, though. Mahalia 
Mahalia Jackson had a simple philosophy. As long as she could sing for the Lord, it didn't matter where it was. Her talent and popularity took her to places few, if any, gospel singers could enter. She performed multiple times at the Newport Jazz Festival. On one occasion, it was an all-gospel night that she requested. Her last appearance at the festival was at the personal request of Louis Armstrong for his birthday. She was the final performer at the first gospel concert at Carnegie Hall, performing for a racially integrated audience. It would be a performance she would duplicate for years to come at Carnegie Hall. She would appear on television shows hosted by Ed Sullivan, Red Skelton, Perry Como, Steve Allen, Milton Berle, and Jimmy Durante. And if you're under 50, you'll want to Google those names and be duly impressed because they were the giants of early television. She appeared in two films during this era as a missionary and as a funeral singer. She would not betray her identity or her calling. She would be the first gospel artist to tour Europe. She endeavored to break through man-made barriers everywhere she went. She would ask the ushers at her concerts to allow whites and blacks to sit together. When she bought a house in an all-white neighborhood of Chicago, her window was shot out on the day of her move-in. As her performance schedule took her deeper into the South, she would run up against Jim Crow laws and would sometimes have to sleep in her new Cadillac, which, by the way, she bought for just that purpose. Banks in the South would refuse to cash her checks, so contractually she demanded to be paid in cash, sometimes carrying tens of thousands of dollars in suitcases and even her undergarments. One thing is true, Mahalia deeply wanted to be an agent of healing in her world. She wanted to bring the races together. In an interview the year before she died, she was asked about the violence of the early 70s and where a solution might be found. As I read my Bible and I do believe in the Word of God, Paul said, forget things that are behind us and press on to a higher cause. And I believe that God is able to solve this problem and to get into this if the, uh, what is wrong in our country today, the segregation, and there are some difficulties that need to be straightened out. I believe if we that really know God from our hearts, trust in God, God will deliver us. He will change hearts and men and women will become to love each other and have a better understanding and i think that there are a lot of people working towards that end white and black i'm not worried the future will take care of itself oh god gonna take care of it baby right. he's gonna take care of it in her desire for desegregation she would find a kindred spirit in dr martin luther king jr she met him at the National Baptist Convention in 1956. He was opposing segregation in the South, and he wanted her help, which she was very glad to do for free. So she helped with boycotts, lended her talents to rallies, and assisted in any place where segregation could be ended. When Dr. King was sent to prison for four months of hard labor, 
John Kennedy, then a candidate for president, intervened. So Mahalia promised to support him for president. After his election, she would sing the national anthem at the inaugural. She and the King family became close friends, entertaining them in her home in Chicago when they were there. Well, their friendship would culminate on August 28, 1963, at what was called the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where she was called upon to sing to a quarter of a million people on the mall in D.C. and for countless others on television and radio. song was. Perhaps her greatest contribution that day occurred during Dr. King's speech, one of the most famous speeches in American history. How? By launching its most famous part. I'll let Dr. Clarence Jones, King's speechwriter, tell you as he told the Wall Street Journal on their YouTube channel. The uh, speech really consisted of two parts. There's the written, prepared text of the speech, and there's that part of the speech which he speaks extemporaneously, was not contemplated by the original text. My role is that uh, I had drafted, for Dr. King's use and consideration, a summary of ideas that we had talked about on at least two or three occasions prior to August 28th. And there came a point when while he was reading from the texts of the speech, a shout from his favorite gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, who was on the podium, and she shouted to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. I noticed when she shouts to him that he looks over at her in real time momentarily, but then he takes the 
text of the written speech that has been prepared, and he slides it to the left side of the lectern, grabs the lectern, looks out on more than 250,000 people there assembled, and I turn to the person standing next to me, whoever that is, I can't remember, I said, these people out there, they don't know it, but they're about ready to go to church. From there after, the balance of the speech in real time was extemporaneously spoken and spontaneously spoken so that that portion of the speech, which is most celebrated in this country and around the world, the I have a dream speech, that is not the speech that he planned to give. It was, without a doubt, a tremendous day of victory. It would be four and a half years later when she and all America would hear of his assassination in Memphis in April 1968. At his funeral once again, and for the last time, she would be called upon to sing for the civil rights hero. And she would do so with a song made famous by her friend and mentor, Thomas Dorsey. I want you to hear my cry. Jackson, in spite of physical and emotional turmoil, still managed to be and do Christianity. It was the cry of her heart. How can I love God without loving you, whom I've never seen? God made man in his image, and I must first treat him right, and I'm treating my God right. She built the Mahalia Jackson Foundation which eventually paid tuition for 50 college students and a non-denominational temple for young people in Chicago to learn gospel music, a dream she had for over a decade. And she was challenging Christians to do more than just talk a good game. If we Christians would give up our wicked ways and turn to the Lord, all this wouldn't be. It's left in the hands of we that confesses Christ, we the one, and we Christian would give up our, stop being hypocrites, and the sinners would see this, and I mean hypocrites, these young folks is tired of seeing you hypocrites, they want to, to see the truth, and give up our wicked ways, and serve God in truth. Honey, the Lord was straightening all this right. 
She would die on January 27, 1972, most likely as a result of her lifelong battle with sarcoidosis. 50,000 people would pay their respects at her funeral. tribute of Mahalia was uttered by Prime Minister Indira Gandhi of India, who met her in 1971 while she was touring the country. She said, quote, I will never hear a greater voice. I will never know a greater person. All through her public life, her phone number just remained in the Chicago phone book for anyone to call. And people did. Her phone rang constantly with those asking for money or for career advice or other help. Her home was wide open for those who just wanted a good meal, as she fancied herself a great cook and very hospitable person. Some guests would stay in her home for weeks at a time. What a remarkable life. A woman who should be imitated personally, though none will ever imitate her professionally. In short, Mahalia Jackson was the real deal. Well, 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 Elijah Rock, shout, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming over, Lord. Elijah Rock, shout, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, oi. appreciate you being a part of the MadCast. Please share this with a friend. We would love to expand our MadCast family. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.